Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Revelations chapter 1, verses 5. The Bible says, and from Jesus Christ. Somebody say Jesus Christ. He says, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness? Christ is the faithful witness. He's the faithful witness. He's the witness who is faithful. Hallelujah. And the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, the prince, underline that, of the kings of the earth. Underline that. The prince of the kings of the earth. He's the prince of the kings of the earth. He's the prince, prince of the kings. Not prince in the kings. Not prince with the kings. He's the prince of the kings of the earth. And to him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. And the next verse says, And hath made us kings. Oh, look at these religious people. He is the prince of the kings of the earth. And he has made us kings and priests unto God and his father. The Bible says, to him be glory and dominion forever. Amen. He is the prince of the kings. Are you following what I'm saying? So he has made you and I kings and priests. And he's the prince of the kings. He's our prince. Praise God. You understand what I'm saying? He's above us, but we are kings. Somebody shout hallelujah. Somebody shout hallelujah. So he is. And the Bible says, and he has made us kings and priests to the most high. Our father, God forever. Amen. And the Bible says, to him be dominion. Now, tonight I want to touch a very interesting thing. Very interesting. You're going to love this. Now, in the Old Testament dispensation, there are three major anointings. All four. And I use the word all four because there are three major anointings. All four. All four means that the fourth one is usually an addition but not so much defined as major. Are you hearing me? So there are three major anointings in the Old Testament dispensation. There was the anointing of the king. Kings just don't have office. They have an anointing. It's an anointing. Kingship is an anointing. It's a glory. Somebody shout hallelujah. And in a couple of minutes, I'm going to define that glory. Then there is the priestly anointing. To be a priest, you take an anointing. If I come to you as a priest, I function under a certain anointing. Are you following me? Then we have 
the prophet. Hallelujah. And then we have the fourth one, which I say is not among the major, but is an anointing too, a judges. Are you following me? Now, according to scripture, 1 Samuel chapter 21, verses 3, it explains exactly what the priest is. This was David. I don't know if some of you have read the story of David's encounter with Ahimelech, right? Now, he goes to Ahimelech and tells him, under thine hand, give me five loaves of bread in my hand of what is present. Saul had sent David to Ahimelech, right? And he made haste. He hurried so fast to go to the man that he even forgot his sword. That's how submitted this man was to the order of the king. And he tells Ahimelech, he says, go. He says, and now therefore, what is under thine hand? Give me five loaves of bread in my hand, or what there is present. And the next verse says, and the priest answered David and said, there is no common bread under mine hand. But there is hallowed bread if the young men have kept themselves at least from women. He says there is hallowed bread. The priests give hallowed bread. That's the primary function of the priestly. To give hallowed bread. Not common bread. Not common bread. In the simplicity of Christ. Praise God. But with the subtlety of the spirit. Who has understood what I just said? You know, in the book of Proverbs, it says to the intent that he might give subtlety to the simple man, that he might give you depth, that he might give you wisdom, that he might give you intellect, that he might give you a certain understanding. Hallelujah. Somebody shout hallelujah. It's because God hates simplicity. Yes, in Christ is simplicity. And men are corrupted from the simplicity which is in Christ because the devil uses subtlety to derail men. He doesn't use simplicity. The devil is not simple. He is crafty. He's deceptive. He cannot use simplicity to a human intellect. He knows you're smart. Are you following what I'm saying? So, when David goes to the priest, of course, the priests of all times, they used to offer sacrifices for the people. They used to serve in the holy place. But also, they gave hallowed bread. What is bread? Hey, what is bread? The word. They were instructors of the meek. That's the primary responsibility of the priest. Not to give bread, but to give hallowed bread. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. In Amos chapter 3 verse 7, you all know that the Lord God will do nothing, but he reveals it, his secret unto his servants, the prophet. So what's the essence of the office of a prophet? To reveal the counsel of God, the mind of God pertaining his action. What he is planning to do. So the priest gives bread, like the prophet reveals the secret plans of Almighty God. Praise the Lord. Now to help the judge in Deuteronomy 16 verses 18, he says, Judges and officials shall thou make thee in all thy gates, which the Lord thy God give thee throughout thy tribes, and they shall judge the people with just judgment. The essence of the judge is to bring law and order, to bring sanity to people. Because human beings are naturally mad people. You understand what I'm saying? Everyone has a degree. You just need to push it. Who has understood what I just said? You're, you're driving and a border guy comes and look at my night. No, this is not normal. This, this is a degree. It might not be bigger than some, but that's a degree. How can a guy just come in front of the car and just 
But are you following? So the judges are to, are to help bring just judgments to God's people. And by the way, the Bible says justice or judgment to God, he requires higher than sacrifice. The Lord loves justice. He loves it. More than anything you could ever give him. He prefers justice. Somebody shout hallelujah. Now, the priest, the king, the prophet. Those are the three distinctive anointings of the Old Testament. Like we know it. Are you following me? If I had time, I would go in each one of them because I would, I would have a sermon on each anointing. But today let me talk about the kingly. Praise the Lord. Today let me talk about the what? The kingly anointing. He says you have been made kings. That means you carry the anointing of a king. You are a king. Okay, gender sensitive. You're a queen. Does that make you happy? Somebody shout hallelujah. Shout hallelujah. Shout hallelujah. Let me define one of the most distinctive. Oh, freedom of spirit. Proverbs 21 verses 1. You there you say amen. You're going to love this. The Bible says that the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. And as the rivers of water, he, God, turneth it whithersoever he will. God says that when you understand and receive and embrace the kingly anointing upon your life, your heart is in his hands. And he directs it wherever he wills. Of course, some people have questions on that. Probably let's go to the second verse a bit. I need to touch some that I'll come back later. He says, every way of a man is right in his own heart. I sorry. But the Lord pondereth the hearts. He says, that notwithstanding, every man in his own way, he thinks he's right in his ways. You can have two people coming in front of you, having a case, and both of them feel or think or are convinced that they are right. Are you following me? But there is a judgment that goes beyond what a man thinks is right. It's the pondering that the Lord has toward that man's heart because God weighs your heart and mine. He knows our hearts. That means rightness is not the proof of words and how good you can debate an issue. It goes to the state of heart when you're dealing with an issue. Are you following what I'm saying? Are you, is somebody following what I'm saying? Now, because of that, when you read Proverbs 21 verse 1, many people look at the blessing, but they don't see the underlying liberty for God to say that I have your heart and I'll take it wherever I will. Some people think, oh yes, this is the sovereignty of God, and that is true, but deeper than the sovereignty of God is the freedom therein of the Christian. Okay, let me explain it deeper. When a king or a person who has embraced the kingly anointing wakes up with a certain desire, X, and that man conceives a desire in his spirit, how many of you know that at that instance, if indeed the man has begotten a desire in their spirit and they are functioning in the fullness of the kingly anointing, it is as already as the mind of God being revealed pertaining what he plans to do in the life of that man. So, desire equals to manifestation. Desire is not wishful thinking. 
You don't wish. No. The moment desire hits your spirit, he tells that man, and I shall give you your heart's desires. And then, of course, there's an indifferent brother who says, oh, but the heart, the ways of a man, sometimes some, are, some people desire the wrong thing. Yes. By the time you desire the wrong thing, you have not understood, articulated, embraced the kingly anointing. Otherwise, he has no reason to give you the ability to do as a will without the grace to carry the difference between the permissible and the beneficial, the precious and the vile, the godly and ungodly. Don't worry, you'll understand. Don't worry, you will what? You will understand. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord Jesus. So, the anointing, the anointing on your life is that the Lord has held your heart in his hand. He directs you. Let's just for a moment, before I even go into explaining deeper, let's just for a moment imagine that the Lord has directed you to a business deal. Can it fail? Let's just say he has directed you to a marriage. Can it fail? If he had directed you to a ministry, can that ministry fail? If he directs you to a career, can that career fail? Now, I'm talking to the man who has to understand what this anointing is. Because how be it that it is, I carry this anointing and my heart is in the hand of God and then I go to a certain course of direction and I don't get results there. Is it that the heart of the king can escape out of the hand of God at a particular point and go do its will until the Lord gets the heart of that man and puts it back in his hand? Or is it probable that when the man's heart, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, it only makes resolute when the man has fully apprehended the consequence, the full revelation of what it means for his heart to be in the hand of God. Now, let me explain it a bit deeper. If the Bible says that the heart of a king is in the hand of God, and God takes that heart everywhere he wills, okay? Everywhere he wills. He guides that heart to make decisions. You know, he says, guard your heart for out of it flow the issues of life. You understand? He, he makes you make decisions. He leads you. You understand? He gives you the course that you must follow, huh? You cannot be led by God and you don't have results. It's not possible, is it? No, it's not. Okay? So if I, my heart is led to a direction of prayer, I must achieve and I must prosper in the thing wherewith my heart is sent into. You understand what I'm saying? Now, what if I go to a certain direction and I find not the results that I went to a marriage and then it failed. I entered a business and it failed. Probably I did a career. And that career did not prosper as it showed. And then probably there's this thing of, uh, you know, I think it's not the will of God. Or some people say, uh, I think maybe the Lord had not led me there, but I deliberately, uh, you know. You give an impression that even though your heart is in the hand of the Lord, there is a way your heart can escape. Listen, the hearts of men do. The hearts of kings don't. Did you just get it? The hearts of men can walk out of the hand of the king. But the hearts of kings don't go off. 
So if you don't see results when you went a certain course, it meant that you had to strip yourself of the right and revelation of the anointing of kingship and thought and responded to the things of this world as a carnal man or a man of the flesh. You know, there are dangerous statements in the Bible. I don't know whether some people read them, but they don't read them dangerously. Yet themselves statements are dangerous. God makes a statement and says, whatsoever you ask. But Nangi, have you ever thought about it for a moment? What it means for God to tell you whatsoever you ask when you pray, it shall be given. Do you know what it means to think for a moment that a man can live in a place where he asks for whatsoever? How do I reconcile that whatsoever I ask and my heart, which is in the hand of the king, except he's telling me the manifestation of my desire to ask whatsoever begins when my heart is in his hand. Have you understood what I just said? He speaks of the man in Psalms, blesses a man who sits not in the seats of scorners and not does what? You remember Psalms 1? Then he goes to the third verse and then he says that, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf, the Bible says, also shall not wither. And the Bible says, and whatsoever, what, so, what, what, so, ever he doeth, what, that's a dangerous statement. Read it dangerously also. Sometimes when you read in the word, eh, then you find a dangerous thing. Eh? Read it dangerously. Respond to it like it is that deep. You understand? He says, whatsoever he doeth, it shall prosper. Whatsoever. You can get to a point in life where everything you set your eyes on works. I mean everything. Ah, but you see, we are in Uganda. It's a third world country. See, and he knew that you're in Uganda, in the third world country. And he gave you a Bible. <laughs> he gave you his word. Hallelujah. Somebody shout hallelujah. God says he sent a word in what? In Jacob. And it lit Israel. It lit Israel. It lit Israel. Of course God knows that you're in a third world country. Of course God knows that you probably don't have enough education. Of course God knows that probably you don't have enough language to articulate. Of course God knows that maybe you don't have the connections that are necessary. Of course God knows that you're shorter, you're taller, you're browner, you're thinner. He knows. But the Bible says that there's sufficiency. If I, I love the way he begins. He says, not that we are sufficient of anything as of to think of anything. As of ourselves. He says, but the sufficiency, our sufficiency is of God, which has made us able ministers of the new covenant. Tell somebody my sufficiency is of God. Come on, confess it with your mouth. Say, my sufficiency is of God. He makes me sufficient. Hallelujah. You have a big deal, but you're sufficient. Hallelujah. There's a big thing coming up in your life. And I know that. Yes, there's a big responsibility in your life. And I know. But God said it's not about what you think, who connects and who doesn't. Uh -uh. Let them come disconnect all they want. You will make it. He that began a good work. He, 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 he. That began a good work in you shall see to accomplishment to the day of Christ. Why? Because I am sufficient. In God's sufficiency. Hallelujah. Give me the message version of that. 
The message Bible says, we wouldn't think of writing this kind of letter about ourselves. Only God can write such a letter. Praise God. His letter authorized us to carry out his new plan of action. The plan wasn't written out in ink but with pages and pages of legal notes killing your spirit. It is written with the spirit, on spirit, and his life, the Bible says, on our lives. Oh, you didn't get it, did you? He has written these things, spirit on spirit. The words are spirit and they are inscribed on your lives. That means if somebody checked your life spiritually, it carries scripture. <laughs> when he says no weapon fashioned against the children of God, they are talking about you. Hallelujah. When he says above and not beneath, upward and upward only, blessed and not cursed, he, everything is written there. It's you. Sufficient in the sufficiency of God. I have all sufficiency. That's the consciousness you carry. Consciousness precedes experience. Praise God. Because consciousness is the seat of meditation. Meditation is a creative force. For as a man thinketh, so he is. Do you realize it and say, so does he become? Oh, oh. If you think that you're rich, even if you don't have money, you're rich. The manifestation of that is as a result of apocalypsis, unveiling, praise God, meeting, understanding, revelation, aligning itself to divine purpose, and then funeraling, manifesting, bringing forth. Manifestation is our process. But the beginning line is what is unveiled to you. That's the essence of the Holy Spirit. How sweet it is that he says that he's the guarantee of the things that are freely given unto us. Do you know, every time the Holy Spirit comes to reveal to you things, he just wants to show you that it's free. Oh, free of charge. Oh my God, free of charge. Free of charge. Give me the amplified of that. Amplified, amplified. First Corinthians 2.12. He says, now, tell your neighbor now. Now! He says, we have not received the spirit that belongs to the world, but the Holy Spirit who is from God, given to us that we might realize and comprehend and appreciate the gifts of divine favor and blessing so freely and lavishly bestowed on us by God. God doesn't want to just give you free. He wants to lavish you. in my father's house. We used to have a, a good problem. My father loves to feed people. He just loves to what? To feed. Food is there. You're eating. Then he comes. Oh, He puts on meat. You understand? But I'm satisfied. Two minutes later, you see him get another piece of chicken. Oh! So that's called lavish. You understand? Eh? That's lavishing. You feel you're full and God says, ah, mm. I don't God stop it. Mm. You understand? No, 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 no. Wait. God, I am Fool. Ah, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, shall men give to your bosom. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow you. They shall override you. I say, oh God, I'm full. <laughs> Tell your neighbor he's free and lavish. 
if it's an anointing, he wants to give you an anointing and spoil you. If it is money, he wants to give you money and spoil you. If it is wisdom, he wants to give you wisdom and spoil you. If it is joy, he wants to give you joy and spoil you. Why don't you act like your love is stone? Why do you act like you're given pieces? Peace meals. Oh, yeah, that's right. No. Some people don't know the source of our joy. No, no. God can overwhelm. God can what? He can overwhelm. He can get to a point where you feel like, ah, God, I can't breathe. No, 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 no. What are blessings upon blessings? Heaps upon heaps. Somebody shout hallelujah. That's my portion. Mm. If you have another, the Lord be with thee and sustain thee in the course you have chosen. But as for me, I chose to be lavish. I allowed him. I told him, you know what, God? Spoil. What can I do? Spoil. Praise God. Somebody shout hallelujah. It's about 10 people looked at you and they saw you spoiled by God in a good way. He gave you too much. One time Moses was feeding Israel and he got tired of feeding and he went to God and God told him, the only way I can lighten what is upon you, eh, to lighten, just to extend, eh, to just lighten, you need to get 70 men. Just to lighten, go and say, ah, this is so heavy for you. Huh? Do you want me to lighten for you? Yeah, get 70 guys. I tell full of the Holy Spirit. And he says, and when I get these guys, I will not stir in them the thing to serve. No, I'll get of your spirit and put it on them. I will get of your spirit, he told Moses, and I'll put it on them that your burden might be lighter. It doesn't go away. It's just lightened by 70 men. That means you, you can have something on your life. You can have something on your life. That even to lighten it, God just needs to get a portion of your spirit and throw it like on 200 people. And that is, it just lightens. Tell somebody I'm weighty. In the name of Jesus. Am I making sense? Are you picking some? So he says that that man shall prosper in the thing. That man, everything he doeth, it shall prosper. And that's where we're entering. Even tonight, the sermon of tonight is to help you get to a level that whatever you put your heart on, whatever you put your heart on, whatever, the moment you wake up and say, I'm going to do this, it shall prosper. And it is possible. Praise God. Praise God. Praise the Lord Jesus. No man is a success by mistake. No man is a success by mistake. Some people think success. Let me tell you. The Spirit of the Lord told me something very profound, and I'm going to touch it tonight. God told me, favor has divine order. Favor is not the loose thing that befalls on a man who, without a divine purpose to it, favor has a divine order. There's an order of spirit that brings favor on the life of a man. That's why when he says that in the king's countenance is life and his favor is as the dew. When you say favor, some of you should know what favor is. Favor is that extra thing that makes you attractive and draws things and men 
to serve your cause. It makes you attractive and makes things and men to draw around you to serve your cause. You understand what I'm saying? There are four or five people going to ask for a job. But the man with more favor is going to get that job. There are four or five people going to go and bid for that multi-million dollar deal. But the man with the highest place of favor will get that deal. Whether they know God or they don't, they have favor in their lives. And there's a divine order of favor. Even though certain people who are favored do not know God, he gives bread and rain even to the heathen. You understand what I'm saying? Do you know why he says we shall be the heads and not the tails? Above and not beneath. Upward and upward only. Because for the man of the world, it's, uh, they call it naive meritocracy. He has merit that is unexplainable. You know like those guys who didn't go to school but they have money. The guys are building but he can't even write the amount of money he has in words. Then there's this guy who knows English. The rest is not to the swift. <laughs> Neither bread to the wise. That thing is deep if you think about it. Bread is not to wise men. Bread is not to wise men. Bread is for men with experience and time. Chance. Experience and opportunity. Time and chance. The word there for time is experience. Time and chance happens to them all. A man may not be wise, but have a certain experience with God. That's why I tell people, these are my things you think you need. You don't need those things. You just need to encounter God a certain way. You just need to encounter God a certain way. A certain way. You just need to encounter God a certain way. The thing that sat on David did not find him in a palace. He was looking after his father's sheep. And something sat on that boy when nobody was observing. It sat way earlier than he was ordained to the office. Why? We just discover the day he's going to kill Goliath when he's confessing for the first time before Saul that when lions and bears came to chase my father's animals, I chased them and I tore these animals out of their mouths. This boy had something. 17 years old. You understand what I'm saying? Some of the diamonds even hidden out there do not know that they are some. That is why our responsibility is to light this light in your spirit to really define you for who you are. But now get some of you, the day you realize who you really are, you will not sit on certain altars. You cannot waste time. You can't eat the bread of desolate men. You don't have that time. Because of who you are, there are certain places you can't be because of who you are. There's a certain way you can't respond to certain things because of who you are. That's called sanctification. Because of who you are. Everybody drank wine. Isn't it? But John the Baptist was not allowed to drink wine. Everybody used to cut hair. But Samson never used to cut hair. Yet it was not a matter of the instruction of the hair. That would mean that every man who has power has to carry long hair. No. But deeper than that, every man has a place where God has defined the source of your power. The day you find it. 
That day you find it. Praise God. Every man of God, everybody, that's why he gives you a name which is known by you and he that calls it to you. That name defines that thing that you have on you that is the source of your strength in the spirit. And we all have different ways by which we connect to God. That's why you have different fingerprints. Let me tell you, we can lead you to the water, but we can't teach you how to drink. Uh-uh. The Lord defines how every man encounters their thing. It's like miracles. Do you know, by reason of phronesis, the wisdom that determines the mode of action, beholding the end in sight. Do you know that by phronesis, every man here could choose to do a miracle differently? Depending on the meditations of your heart. Say, I understand in Jesus' name. Depending on the meditation of your what? Of your heart. You can do the same miracle, but differently. All of you are responding differently to this. All of you. No brain on this ground is thinking the same. Imagine how amazing God is. Even people are live streaming right now. Every brain is solitarily thinking. Different. All of these are ideas. There's someone who's saying, he's too loud, he's too fast. I understand, I don't understand. You understand? Everyone has their own opinion. And everybody... God has a certain purpose on that brain. Each brain thinking whichever way it does. <laughs> it's interesting that all of you respond differently to the power of God. There might be alike responses. But even though those responses are alike, in substance and divine nature, they are not exact. We all respond differently to God. You understand what I'm saying? You might get born again with 20, 30 people. And then in two, three weeks, you're all on different pages. Because he has that uniqueness of dealing with you as an individual. And that is called love. He says, yes, I love everyone, but I want to talk to you a certain way. I want to reveal myself to you a certain way. I want you to worship me a certain way. I want me, if I try to do certain things, the way certain, me, like one time, I remember one man sat me down and told me, Apostle, you're a very gifted preacher. But you know what I'm going to do? You overmove. You told me you overmove on the pulpit. You know what you're going to do? Just get to a point and just stand in one place. You will bless people. <laughs> he gave me examples of Billy Graham, the late father. And then I said, okay, I'm going to try. And then I stood on that pulpit the first day and I said, Grace, stand in one place. As I'm preaching and I'm taking one step, Grace, back. I'm standing one, ah, back, you understand? And then somehow in the middle of the spirit heat I don't know I found myself running on the same pulpit you know and then I remember hey wait on the pulpit grace on the pulpit and it failed because me God made me this way you see and then I remember another time some guy told me you know when you're preaching some of us who have gone to Bible school, uh, we have learned that you have to get one topic, introduce it, give it a certain body, give reference to that body, go intricately to that topic, dissect it, come to the end, but always giving the examples and everything that said that by the end of your sermon, someone has understood. I said, 
Thank you for the advice. I stood on the pulpit. Constant repetition makes things sink deeper. Try this, I tried. And I in the middle of the sermon, God, the scriptures just found themselves entering. I said, Lubega. <laughs> so, I got worried that, you know what? Because you, you told me at the end, you told me, if you continue this way, and during that time, I used to preach about 20 or 15 people. He told me, if you continue this way, I don't see that you're going to be a successful minister. Because a, a man will need to be mad enough to interpret the things you are saying. Now, when I stand in front of Fanero, I say, Kumbe, there were guys who were understanding me in my ambiguity. And it begins with, you know, Apostle, you say many things, I don't understand them, but they're nice. They're nice. So I'll come back, I'll come back, I'll come back next Thursday. Then you preach again, says, oh, yeah, 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 I picked one or two, but they are true, they are true. Okay, I'll come back. The next thing you know, you promise yourself you're going to come back one time, two times, three times, then. <laughs> then after that, I say, cult. <laughs> Somebody shout hallelujah. And I realize that there is no freedom before God than being you. Be you in the gospel. If you're the kind who first speaks tongues before you preach, eh? get on that pulpit and say, labarazeko, Then start preaching. Are you hearing me? Don't be sorry for who you are in God. If you sense that the freedom that you carry in the spirit is according to truth. You know, so there's fanaticism. Eh? There's some people who are fanatic. Eh? Somebody looks like they are, but they're not, they're not, they're, they're just fanatic. But when it is free, it blesses. So be free. Tell your neighbor, be free. If for you, the Lord tells you to sing one word for the end of someone, and that's how he'll bless God's people, let him, you, don't change who you are to fit a certain man's temperature. You understand what I'm saying? Eh? That means you're conditioned by other men to serve God. No, you're not supposed to be conditioned by men to serve God. No. You can be mentored, advised, taught, but you cannot be conditioned. Because the way the anointing flows through every man is different. There are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. Diversities of operation, but the Diversities of administration, but the same Lord in all. And all of this, the Bible says, is given to the prophet with all. The demonstration of the spirit is given to the prophet with all. But there's going to be diversities of operation, diversities of of demonstration, administration, and the diversities of gifts. You're going to have a different gift demonstrating it another way and operating another way. And the church has to appreciate that not everybody who doesn't function like they do is wrong. You know, there are people who think, I know that one is not a man. Why? Because he shouts. Why? Because for you, you think everybody who shouts is wrong. You understand? We have people who are so... There's a way they, they think that God is one-dimensional like them. I love the way the late man of God called Lester Sumerel put it. He said, that for me, he said, what has preserved me in the gospel is I was where the flames were. I was never too static for the flame to light me up because I had an old experience of process. You know, there are some people, the way they saw God, the way God appeared is the way he has to appear every day. If he doesn't appear in the fashion and shape that they know him of, this is not God because he's not appearing the way Mama, you're in for a shock. The same God who has ordained praise in the mouths of babes? You mean one day 
Babes will stand up and start speaking the wondrous works of God. Babies, young people. You understand what I'm saying? He has ordained praise to them. He has ordained. He, he has anointed them with strength. Now, how do you define that God who can work through anybody, whichever way he wants? Some of you have not even yet started, though you look like you're old. The day you start. How many of you know, like, Maria Woodworth Etta, you remember that woman? Woman's real ministry began about 50-something. It's amazing. Smith Wigglesworth, about 48. That's when the guy's life really began. So it's not too late to see God. It's not late. He can even appear tomorrow morning. All this evening, and your life is never going to be the same again. Somebody shout hallelujah. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let's go back to this thing. We're still chewing some meat. It's not that the heart of the king leaves the hand of the Lord. No, it's just that the king does not know and understand that they are. They don't embrace and receive and appreciate and fully comprehend this anointing and how it works. If you have a car, for example, and you don't know how it works, you'll have it, but it will not work. It doesn't mean that the car is not working. It only means you don't know how to work it. Are you following what I'm saying? You have an anointing on your life. You might not do miracles, signs, and wonders, yet you have an anointing on your life. You might assume, ah, maybe. No, no, no. There's nothing. It's not that the anointing in your life is not working. You just don't know how to operate it. And that's what I'm trying to show you. Let me read for you something interesting. Hallelujah. Romans 5, 17. Come on verse. Now, he says, For if by one man's offense, death reigned by one, much more they, one who receive abundance of grace and of the gift, of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. God is giving you the antidote. He's giving you the answer. He's giving you the key. He's saying the anointing of kingship responds to two things. Receive grace. That's why we preach grace. You see, if the key twists, right? It's the twist of the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness. It's what opens that door. Who has understood it? When you receive grace, you, when you embrace the message of grace, what is grace? It is the mind that it is never going to be in your ability, but in the ability of God. And therefore, Cease to work and allow him to work through you. That's a man who has received the abundance of grace. You are given, but it's another to receive it. Huh? You are given, but it's another for you to what? To receive it. He's talking of them which have received the abundance. Received the abundance. Many people are given, but many of them do not receive what is given. Many things are available to you in the spirit. But many of you don't know how to get them. To lambano them. To get a hold of them in the spirit. To make them yours. 
Some things, it's because they are too good and too big to be true. Some of you, it's because of how you were raised and how you were taught in your primary years of teaching. You know, many of us are struggling to receive because we are taught the wrong way and we receive the wrong stuff. And now when the right stuff comes, you don't believe it. You understand? For example, if you are raised in a church or a ministry or a place where everything was to be worked for to get. When they give you free stuff, what do you do? You say, ah, be careful. Those three things have uh, nothing is really free. But where is that coming from? Because the church you went to earlier, the way you were told earlier, everything had to come a certain way. And something that because we say you don't need to work to get, they think we don't work. No, we work. The only difference between us and you is that for us, we allow him to work through us such that our results of work are the works of him in us. And for you, you work without him to get him. Did you get the difference? That is why there is no boasting with us. What do you have that you have not received? You just received. Everything you have, you have received. You didn't work for. The scripture is clear. Everything you have, you have received because you did not work for. You have received. So you cannot boast. You cannot boast. Even the church in Corinth entered into that grace. You remember when he's telling them, for you have now become rich without us. And now you have reigned as kings. And though we wish we reigned along with you. The kingly anointing sat on the church of Corinth. It happened. Yes, wealth was a part of them. But more than just that, many other things came on that church because they embraced the kingly grace. Somebody shout hallelujah. Thank you. It's 4.8. He says, now ye are full. Now ye are rich. Ye have reigned as kings without us. And I would to God that you did reign, but that also you might reign with us. They embraced the kingly grace. They embraced the free gift of righteousness and the abundance of grace and received it. You know, it's one thing to know that you're given righteousness. But how many of you switch conscience every time things happen in your life that go contrary? If the Bible says, for example, let me give you an example. If the Bible says that you've freely been given, yeah, you have received grace. Grace for anything, you know? Grace upon grace. I have grace for my marriage, right? And then you're in a relationship and your wife blows up. But you have received grace for this marriage. Are you following? And then because you observe a lying vanity, what do you do? You forsake your own mercy. How do you do it? By your confession. You understand? Man wakes up and says, ah, 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 apostle, eh? <laughs> this woman, ah, 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 I don't know why God gave me this woman, apostle. I don't know why God gave me this woman. Do you know what you've done? Do you know how powerful that statement is? You have frustrated and insulted the spirit of grace. What am I supposed to do? Okay, if you feel pain, at least don't confess it. Or if you're confessing it, find it a nice way. Come and say, Apostle, this woman makes me so happy. I'll understand. She makes me so happy. Somebody shout hallelujah. He says we offend in many things. But if a man offend not in... Do you realize offense now begins with your confession? 
I know it's not working, but don't confess that it's not working. Find another way to present it. Even when you're coming for prayers. You can come and say, Apostle, let's thank God for my marriage. <laughs> Everything is working. Woo! Everything is... I will understand. We shall thank God. But don't go back to perdition. We are not of them that draw back. If you have received grace, walk in grace. Let your mouth be filled all the way with grace. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's how you profit your hearers. Some of your confession does not profit because some of you to change your confession, you just need to get a problem. Once a problem happens in your life, you can confess negatively. You are, I receive grace. Oh, I righteousness. What? Anything happens in your life and already confession goes negative. This person is saying, I'm more than a conqueror. Why? Because you're happy. I'm more than a conqueror. Why? Because they gave you a promotion of 200,000, which is wonderful. But that's not what makes you a conqueror. You're not a conqueror when everything is working right. Nah, -uh. It's that day when you wake up and open the... Then you start saying, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. I'm blessed. I'm blessed. Oh, I'm blessed. Oh, king shall come to my rising. Cause I am favored and grace. If you have a big bag and you search it, in all I do, it shall prosper. <laughs> Everything I touch shall be blessed. That's a man who has understood the gospel. Akasao kakalu na yoka sutulanga kajude sente. Oh, you didn't get what I just said. Your bag is empty, but you carry it like it has money. You even protect it from people who watch it. Perhaps they might suspect that there is. That the communication of your faith might become effectual through the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you, which is in Christ. You will wake up and things are not working the way you want them to work. But the Bible says, lose not your sweet words. He says, do not lose your sweet words. That's what the Bible says, do not lose your sweet words. Hallelujah. You might wake up and things are not happening. You understand? You're a child of grace. You're a confessor of grace. You don't lose your sweet words. Stay confessing the right stuff. In fact, that's called spiritual warfare. The day you wake up and everything is dead and for it you see it alive. For you, 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 you. Do you know someone coming to you and they tell you, hey, you guy, are you okay? And you tell them, I've never felt much better. You, sometimes you. Are you hearing me? You get up and say, how are you feeling? <clears throat> Praise God. That's called faith. But some of you say, <laughs> bring my will. Can I tell you where you'll bury me? No, not now. Tell your neighbor, not now. Tell somebody I'm not about to die. Ah, uh -uh. Don't even plan. Don't imagine it. 
don't suspect it. Uh-uh, uh-uh, say it, say it, I'm not about to die. With long life, he will satisfy me. I shall live and not die to proclaim the goodness of the Lord. I shall live. I choose life. But when you find a man in the worst state, for me, it's those few hours and days and things are not working. And then somebody comes to your office. This guy has been sitting under you for years and he says, Apostle, things have failed. And you're like, oh God. He has not received. He has been given. He knows he has been given. But he has not received. When a man receives, that man speaks like he has received. That man believes. Let me tell you. Even if you enter my heart right now eh, and look into it, there is no part of me. There is no ounce in me that can imagine that Fanero can fail. Even if you open, ah, it's not there. It cannot. It cannot. Because it's not in my heart. What is not in your heart cannot happen. What is not admitted in your heart is not there. Yes, it can manifest in the physical. But the reality of it cannot carry oil in the spiritual until you accept it. I've been around people who are dying. Huh? Christians. A guy says, I'm, I'm healed. Am I? I'm healed. What? Then as the days continue going, you start to hear statements like, if I die. <laughs> then towards the end, he starts to say, um... Now I'm at the point of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I'm in the fire. Whether God saves me or he doesn't, I'll still trust it. No. You're going to die for nothing. Get to a point where even if you have one last breath and they tell you, make one statement, you don't make a will. You know, like there was a guy who was on his verge of dying. There's a story of a guy. He was on the verge dying. And then they told him, you have one breath. And he says, oh, to mother. He died. Yeah, that's the shortest will you know recording in history. The guy left his stuff to his daughter, all to Martha. Three words, all to Martha. Now, if you have that one last breath, it is the last one. Those are three. I can't die. <laughs> It cannot happen. It cannot happen. Unless God is a liar. He says if you hold the beginning of your confidence. The beginning of your confidence. Up to the end. He says you partake Christ. Read it straight. Hebrews 3.14. He says for we are made partakers of Christ. If. We hold the beginning of our confidence. Steadfast to the end. If you say you're rich, nothing in the world, no circumstance in the world, no situation in the world can ever make you think that you're broke. Nothing. Even if they fire you and you lose everything and the landlord comes on the dance and says, boop, 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 boop. I want my money. Tell him, landlord, give me a couple of days. I have dollars. 
I got dollars. What do you mean? No, no, I just got a wiring of a couple of thousand, tens of thousands of dollars. So let me go to the bank and change it. The bank didn't have dollars. <laughs> I can't fail. To the end. You watch people who die. In the end there, there's a confession. It's always there. It's always there. You ask, but he was a believer. He kept on confessing to the end. Hey, right towards the last there, you see the guy called his brother. My house and my car. <laughs> you must die at your time. Tell your neighbor, I must die at my time. I refuse to die early. In the mighty name of Jesus. Some people wake up. Eh? It's like, it's like you will wake up one day. For some of you who have seen this, have experienced this. You will wake up one day and a certain imagination hits you. You imagine falling down and then you die. That's an attack spiritually. Then some of you, instead of killing it, immediately you feed it. By the way, Then you take two hours thinking how your burial can look like, how you leave your children when they are young. You're creating, brother. We shall bury you. The moment those things hit you and then you see a vision that you're falling down, in the same vision, stand up! And say, ah, 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 Devil, 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 devil. Ah, 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 ah. Casting down imaginations and breaking everything that excels itself above your knowledge of Christ and bringing to captivity all thoughts to the obedience of Christ. All thoughts. My mind obeys God. When it flies off and poverty, no, you come back and say, ah, for this reason the Son of God was made poor that I might be rich and blessed. As some of you imagine poverty. You even sleep there. Praise God. Receive the abundance of grace. And receive righteousness as a free gift. Righteousness is right standing before God. And our righteousness is not based on performance. It's based on faith toward God. Isn't it? It's the righteousness of God revealed. Which is, it is not best on what I did. I'm not right because I didn't offend someone at 2 p.m. I am right because I believed on he that justifieth the ungodly. He says, for all have sinned, present continuous and fall short of the glory of God being justified again freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Freely. Now, I want you to listen to this. This righteousness and consciousness that I'm right before God, 
the more you hold it, the more you're released into the liberty of abiding in the hand. The more you have the grace of your heart abiding in the hand of God to take you wherever he wills. Because you start dying from the consciousness of sin and failure. You start yielding to the righteousness imputed and that rightful standing with God is the liberty with which a man embraces the anointing of kingship and his heart stays steadfast in the hand of God. Not that it leaves, but that it could be there and not have results because you've not fully understood and embraced it. Righteousness was the other part of the key imputed on our lives to give us grace to know that I can't wake up and want another person that I'm not supposed to want. I can't wake up and enter a place I'm not supposed to enter. It is not in me because I have received the righteousness which is of God. You can't marry a wrong woman. You can't marry a wrong man. You can't drive a wrong car. You can't enter a wrong business. You can't enter a wrong deal. But that boldness begins when you embrace the righteousness of faith. That is what preserves the man of faith. You remember when the Bible says in, I think, Psalms 18, 49, where it says, therefore, I'll give thanks to thee, O Lord, among the heathen, and sing praises thy name. Great deliverance, the Bible says, giveth he to his king and showeth mercy to his anointed, to David and to his seed forever. When David embraces the righteousness, which is of God, he knows it. That's why he says, blessed is a man of whom the Lord imputeth not seen by the righteous. He was dwelling in the office of the kingly, a man after God's own heart. The Lord finds a man who has understood this righteousness and he says, I'll preserve your seed forever. In Samuel, I think it's chapter 7, he speaks one of the most profound statements in there. He says, how can I sleep or how can I have my house in cedar? How can I build and live in cedar and the house of God is in curtains? That was a man who had the heart of God. He was not comfortable having a very beautiful house when the house of God is in tatters. He could not see how. He loved the presence to that event. Now, deeper than that, this same David, when the prophet hears him, he says, do, that's the next verse, he says, according to your heart. Nathan said to the king, do all that is in thine heart, for the Lord is with thee. The Lord knows your heart. Do. You know why he tells him do? Because the fact that David has a problem sleeping in cedar and the house of God is in curtains, Nathan considers that this man in his heart has the intention to build a house for God. And at that particular point, Nathan could not pray for David to build a house. No. He could only tell him do it. Because the fact that you have desired it in your heart, there is grace for it. Somebody say the fact that I desire it. There is grace for it. When you're there and you feel like you need to do something. Do. For the Lord is with you. You're a king. Your heart going to the end of wanting to build a house. Definitely God is in it. And the next God appears to Nathan. And tells him. But. 
it's not to his seed. But I shall build it. Because it's in his desire. His expectation cannot be cut short. We cannot say that the Lord did not give David a temple. We can only say he built through his seed. But he built it anyway. Because it was in the man's desire. When you wake up and you want to do things for God. Do. Don't ask, but I want to serve, but I don't have. You know, I'm believing God for this, but I don't have transport. Shut up. Walk the first day. The second day you will not walk. That's a man who has believed God. If you're believing God to do business, like you people who are doing business, how can one man have the grace to feed the whole world? No, he stored up for Egypt. But the Bible says that the whole world came to Egypt for food that day. So, Pharaoh did not dream for Egypt. He dreamt for the world. But he thought it was for Egypt. He needed a man of the spirit to store up enough both for Egypt that when the brothers come from Israel, they can still find food there. These brothers who are leaving Israel to come to Egypt for food, I want you to note that food had become scarce on the face of the earth and all of them were looking for food in the same direction. But if Joseph did not have enough to feed both Israel and the world, I'm talking about a vision that goes beyond Uganda. I'm talking about that thing that is bigger than the kiosk. You have a ginger road. And yet it might begin in that kiosk and have an effect for the world. Tell somebody else, call for the world. Long and short, David is before God. And in verse 12, Psalm 7, now I want you to see the heart of God. I want you to see the righteousness of God. I want you to see the heart of this man and the grace God bestows on him. And when the days be fulfilled, this is now the prophet telling to David, when the days be fulfilled and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels and I will establish his kingdom. This is God saying that when you receive this righteousness, where I was young and now I'm old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken neither. They are seed begging bread. This thing goes beyond the grace on your life. It extends to your children and your children's children, both physical and spiritual. That is what they call wisdom. For a wise man stores up an inheritance for his children and his children's children. The guarantee of this thing on your life extending to the third generation, for I see the grace which was first dwelt in your mother who? Lois and in your mother Eunice and the same faith which is in you also Timothy I'm talking about that thing that works in you goes into your children and your children's children it's not what you live for them it's what you live in them you understand what I'm saying it's the words of this life and the Bible says he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. He shall build, the, the Amplified says he shall build a house for my name and my presence God does not dwell in the house built by human hands. Hello? Are you following? God doesn't dwell in a house built by human hands. That is not your God. This which is built by human hands is only for his name and his presence. Not his person. His person, where is it? He dwells in men. So have you understood that? Have you understood that? So it's the house for his name and presence. So the next verse says, I will be his father. Now he's talking to David, the righteous man. The promise to his child. When a man has seen God, he's telling him what he will do with his child. He says, I will be his father and he shall be my son. 
And this is God now telling David, this thing made me weep. He says, when he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the sons of men. And the next verse says, but my mercy shall not depart away from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before thee. When God removed grace on the household of Saul, he took everything and cleared that whole house. When he came to the household of David, he's telling him with Solomon, even if he messes up, I'll hit him, slap him with a rod of men, and I'll bring the boy back to the temple. Why? Because I have a covenant with you, David. And isn't it amazing in the book of Revelation that the last prophetic temple that God is rebuilding before the end is the temple of David? The place where fathers and sons are reconciled to the spirit of righteousness and grace who have embraced the free gift of righteousness and the abundance of grace. Their heart is in the hand of God. They are men and women with the heart of God. Some of you, the heart you have toward God is going to not only define you, but it's going to define your children and your children's children to preserve the apostarity among your people. When he came to David, he told him, I shall make you among the greats of this world. He told David. When I'm talking about great, it's more than being a good husband and a good wife and a good mother and all of that entails that. But being great means God puts something on you that eternally everybody in that generation and the generations to come, they'll say there was something that made that man or that woman great. It's the spirit of greatness. It's the same thing he told Abraham. He says, I shall make thee great. That spirit of greatness is what will separate you from normal results. You will do superaboundingly, exceedingly beyond normal results. If you're a preacher, they'll say, you are a great preacher. He's the light that lights every man that comes in this world. Don't forget that. But the Bible says that even with the stars, there's a difference in glory. There's a difference in glory. We all don't shine the same way. If you, for example, remember the story of Nelson Mandela, whether that man knew God or not, there was something on that man's life. I watched his funeral on television. When will that ever happen again? When the number of presidents and former presidents all gather to bury one man. Are you hearing what I'm saying? One man like this. It has never happened in the history of the world. It might never happen again. But that's how much effect he had on the world. That's how much he's the most popular man in, on earth. As we know him in history. You get my point? Eh? It just didn't happen. There's something on his star. Now, if he did that by coincidence of divine appointment, for you even deeper, there's a divine order that has ordained you to greatness. That's why he says you shall be heads and not the tails. You shall be above and not beneath. He says your children shall be called great. He says they shall be for signs and wonders. There will be potents and their names shall go ahead of them. Their peace shall be many and I shall teach them. Some of you, you did not just come today to just attend service. No, you came to confirm the affirmed position of what God has placed upon your life. 
start to receive it. Somebody speaking other tongues, speaking a language, start to talk to God. You remember the words David sang after the victory of Saul? After the victory of Saul, it's when he sang the song and said, Strangers that I know not shall serve me. Kings shall come to my rising. This was him speaking. Because he had seen what the Lord had... Oh, come on, receive it, receive it, receive it, receive it. Somebody speak in other tongues. family. Speak to your marriage. Speak to your children. Thank you, Jesus. Give the Lord a mighty help of praise. Come on, clap for Jesus. It is done. Somebody say it is done. If you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus, I want you to come and receive him as your Lord and Savior. 
For what good can it profit you that you win the whole world but lose your soul? If you're there and you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, please come and we lead you through a confession prayer. Come. Come. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Come and receive him as your Lord and Savior. Come and receive Jesus. 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 Oh, oh, Makore Bosta la 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 Say, Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins, that you are the Son of God who shed his blood for me. Today, I receive you as Lord and Savior. The message you have just heard was brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number 041-466-4291 or email us at fenerocompala at gmail.com. You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at Uma Multipurpose Hall from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. You can also catch the live stream at livestream.com slash Fenero. Finero, make manifest.